Hello, and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and this is Table Topics episode number 61, Mordor or Bust. Originally, uh, Caleb and I were scheduled to interview Kat Murphy and James D'Amato from the One Shot podcast and talk about their new in-development game called Epiphany. Unfortunately, at the last minute, uh, that interview kind of got canceled. It wasn't really anyone's fault. It just sort of happened. Uh, we are in the process of rescheduling it for the future. So Caleb and I threw out some requests on Twitter and Facebook, and we got a couple suggestions for a topic that we could cover, and we went ahead and did that. So we spent the next hour or so talking about the way that campaigns can end, whether it be because of real-life situations, kind of like what happened with the interview that was supposed to be done, or uh, something that happens in the game that kind of makes your game unattainable. You can't really go further with it. And here you go. Here is Table Topics, episode number 61, Mordor or Bust. So welcome to Table Topics. This will should be episode 61. Um, my name is Michael, and I have brought along with me my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, I am doing quite well, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well. I, I leave for vacation tomorrow. I'm very excited about that, though I am slightly stressed about my inability to edit podcasts. Uh, I've tried to get ahead a little bit, so I'd have a little bit of a buffer, and I haven't quite gotten there. But uh, Table Topics Episode 60 comes out tomorrow. I have the next uh, Star Wars episode that will come out next week. I have a bonus episode uh, that will come out Monday. But I don't have the third episode, uh, bonus episode ready. So there's going to be a two-week gap between Episode 2 of Rocky's One Shot and then uh, the third one. So unfortunately, I just don't have time to get it done. So we were supposed to interview James and Kat from One Shot Podcast tonight for an episode uh, covering their new or their in-development role-playing game called Epiphany. And unfortunately, we kind of had to uh, put the kibosh on that. But it's not dead. It's just postponed. Uh, I'm a, I'm, I have become a huge fan of the One Shot Podcast. I, I love their uh, actual plays. I think they're amazing. So I'm really excited to get Kat and James on. It's just going to be a couple extra weeks. But we did not want to miss the opportunity to get together and do some uh, podcasting. So we went ahead and we're going to throw in a, a, a short notice episode 61. So we'll see how that goes. But before we do that, Caleb, have you been moonlighting on the RPG Academy podcast? Uh, I'm not sure how to uh, answer that question, Michael. Is it going to put my co-host position in jeopardy there? Uh, well, you know, it might depend on how you answer these questions, but I'm pretty sure that I saw something that you had written for Geekly Inc. Uh, you know, I uh, I think some, some words might have fallen out of my keyboard uh, onto their website by accident um, with a, uh, a very generous offer from everyone over there at Geekly Inc. Uh, they invited me to do uh, a little bit of writing for them on the side. I am <clears throat> right now writing a weekly review and recap of the Gotham TV show that is airing on Ye Old Fox Network. Not affiliated with us in any way. Although if they want to sponsor us, I love Gotham. <laughs> if they don't want to sponsor us, fuck Gotham. 
I still think it should be called the Bullock Show or some derivative. I think he's a much more interesting character than James Gordon. Uh, but it's always easier. I mean, that's like the Han Solo Luke thing. You know, the the scruffy nerf herder is always more exciting than the farm boy. So I kind of got to give it a fair shot. But I read the art, first article that you wrote. Uh, I left you a comment on there. So um, uh, I thought it was really well written. I liked it. Uh, and I look forward to reading some more. Um, I have not watched this week's episode, so I will need to do that before I read what you write. And then I watched uh, The Flash, which is uh, another new show for this year I'm really excited about. Has you, did you have a chance to check that out? No, both Flash and Supernatural Season 10 premiered yesterday, although by the time this show airs, yesterday has no meaning. Um, so all of your comments at the beginning of the show have no meaning either. So good job, buddy. Um, <laughs> that's, <no. laughs> that's what we strive for here. Yep. Yes, we strive for wonderful gaming advice and, uh, and cultural comments that do not sync up with real time. Well, Welcome actually, and I, kids. and I forgot, I actually wanted to, and I, I may do this on the intro, but I wanted to use our new tagline is that uh, you get the tasty combination of crunch and fluff. We're kind of like the trail mix of RPG advice. That's right. Yeah. Well, welcome to RPG Academy, the trail mix of gaming advice. <laughs> I love that. Surgeon's, yeah. Surgeon's general warning, none of these ingredients sync up to real time. <laughs> Which uh, we could but, make a, it's a Doctor Who reference. It, it really is. Our our trail mix is very wibbly-wobbly and tiny-wimey. Um <laughs> And it goes ding when there's stuff. Um, but no, I did not watch either of those shows, although I have very much want to. Um, mostly because I don't have cable, so I have to watch them all on a certain streaming network, uh, which you have to pay for and watch commercials on, which shall remain unnamed. But it's Unless they sponsor like us. It's kind of like a dance from Hawaii, where they eat pigs. <laughs> if they do sponsor us, though, I love that channel. <laughs> if they don't sponsor us, you're still taking my money, so shut up. Shut up. Uh, but no, I will watch them soon. Cool. All right. Well, when you do, maybe maybe we will uh, discuss them briefly on here as well. Ooh, but let's maybe. move on. So uh, our newest thing we're gonna again as we're we're trying to take a step forward by actually moving backwards a little bit because we're crazy here. There was a uh, we're gonna talk about that I think with the, yeah. with the cartoon MC, MC MC Scat Cat. Yeah, maybe we should get him on the, on the podcast one of these nights. He'd be a great guest host. Hey, buddy. That would be, that would be pretty him? awesome. <laughs> right back to the 90s. Was that 90s? Uh, I think so. Yeah, pretty sure. We'll get some shades and hammer pans. We'll throw it down. Bam. <laughs> nice. Uh, but we're going to start with our gamers lexicon, where each week we take a theme, an idea, a phrase, a sentence, a term, uh, that has some relevance to the RPG gaming community, and we kind of explain it and what it means. We give our definition. It may not necessarily be the textbook definition, but we try to give an idea of, of what these mean. And these are somewhat basic. So, you know, we're not trying to offend anyone or talk down to anyone, but there are some people that are new to the hobby, and uh, they may have heard these terms before but not truly understood what they meant. So, Caleb, what term are we going to talk about tonight? Tonight, Michael, we are bringing up the dreaded TPK, Total Party Kill. Isn't that the thing from Demolition Man? Uh, that was a murder death kill. Oh, that's, that's, that's an MDK, murder MDK. death kill. This is different. Also, three shells. <laughs> also, Taco Bell being the best restaurant in the world. Uh, not the best, the only. Only. All restaurants are Taco Bells. I'm a little bit lax on my Demolition Man trivia. 
the overall the overalls just send me into epileptic seizures. I can't watch it that often. This guy's wearing Oshkosh Bigosh. Anyway, and an orange so, T-shirt. So what is so? I mean, it's in the definition of a total party kill. So what basically does that mean to you? What is your experience with total party kills? Well, I think without going too much into it, a, a total party kill is uh, a, a party wipe. That's another phrase that a lot of people use on the forums. Uh, essentially, every PC or player character is killed in an encounter, whether it's the boss they're fighting, the monsters, uh, the various uh, groups of, of, of creatures uh, you're fighting in an encounter. Um, could be the environment killed you. Uh, you fell prey to lava or... Rocks fall, everyone dies. Classic. In your mind, why do TPKs happen? Is it the failing of the DM, they, they create an unbalanced encounter? Is it the mindset of the players that we can solve all problems through violence and they don't run away even though they should? Is it um, stupidity on someone's part? Is it a system issue where the, the crunch and fluff isn't quite right? Power gaming? Uh, like what, in your experience, what has truly led to TPKs? Man, this is not an easy question to answer. Um, I never, I don't want to point fingers, but I, I think depending on the situation, yes, sometimes the GM might try too hard in an encounter, and they build something that they don't understand how it works, or they let things get away from them. Uh, yes, sometimes the players go too crazy, and they try to solve everything through violence, and they get a little carried away and get too involved. And the GM says, all right, guys, you took the action. This is the consequence. Sometimes it's part of the story. I mean, I mean, sometimes there there is a moment where the consequences and the, the reality of the game come through and death occurs. Sometimes it very well might be the players don't understand the system or the GM is new to the system. And it was an accident. I mean, maybe uh, a brand new GM accidentally throws too hard uh, a CR creature, too difficult a monster, at the party. And just following the rules in the books, they say, oops, sorry guys, uh, that was a crit. Uh, oops, sorry guys, that was max damage times two. Uh, oops, sorry guys, that was a huge fireball. You know, and things kind of snowball from there. My experience... I actually, because again, I, I DM much, much, much more than I've ever played, that I very rarely have TPKs. Like, it's it's not something that I experience very often, partly because I don't do a lot of combat in my games. Well. Usually. I would argue that fact um, by this point. But um, as a player, what I often find is that if we're in a situation and let's say there's four people playing, and two of those characters die in a battle. And I'm talking like dead, dead. You know, only only thing left is to go through the pockets, look for loose change dead, not mostly dead, completely dead, dead. Then generally, as a player, I'll be like, okay, I'm either going to kill everything here or I'm going to die. And I don't run away, even though that's probably the correct decision at that point. I've just made the decision as a player rather than a character that I'm either going to defend my fallen comrades or I'm okay with my character dying and we'll just restart the campaign or restart the game. We'll reboot because it's there's a, there's a part of me that's the storyteller that doesn't like 
bringing two or three new characters into an ongoing story. Because you get to a point where no one in the story truly has a connection any longer to the story, and it doesn't quite make sense. You know, you have four characters, two of them die, you bring in two new ones, then two of those die, one of which was the original, so now you have one character from the original story, and then later that character dies, and then soon you have four or five characters on a quest that none of them started on. And there's just a part of me that doesn't enjoy that. Now, having said that, I will share my most recent TPK as a DM, and this is, I don't know, easily six, seven years ago, actually, well, longer than that, is when I was living in Cleveland, and actually, it was even before I bought my house, so this is like 12 years ago, and it was exactly what you said, I didn't understand what I was doing to my party. I uh, I wanted to use a carrying crawler, but upon my initial read-through, I thought they were too weak. I was like, ah, oh, I need to, because my, my characters were a little tougher, they were a little higher level than um, than the than the even encounter. So I decided to make my carrying crawler a little tougher. And this would have been 3.0 or maybe 3.5. So what I did is I had the DC for the save versus the uh, paralyzation effect increased by plus two for every successful hit of a tentacle. The carrying crawler gets eight attacks in a round. So the first time it hit, it was like DC 12, then 14, then 16, then 18, then 20. I killed everyone with one carrying crawler. What's wrong with you? That's just brutally mean. I actually have, and I think Rich still listens to the podcast on occasionally. He actually bought me a carrying crawler mini, attached it to a small piece of wood, and then bronzed it. I actually have a bronzed carrying crawler (laughs) that I still have on my computer to this day. As as a reward and as a, I think Rich was saying, you fucked up. Here you go. Don't ever do that again. And, um, yeah, it was me not really realizing the impact that I was putting into my game because I didn't fully understand how the monster worked and I killed my entire party. But, uh, but having said that, I don't really do TPKs very often. One, because I don't have a lot of combat. And two, once I see that the combat's going against the characters, generally they're going to run away. Well, I'm curious about something, though, in this specific example. So you read the rules for this monster. In your estimate you wanted to make it more challenging. Why did you choose to bump the DC of a specific attack in the way that you did? Was it because you thought it was the easiest thing to change? Did you you think it wouldn't come up as much? Did you think that was the prime focus of how this monster worked and you wanted to make it highlighted in combat? I wanted to terrify my players because, again, I, my, uh, fights in my game are, when they happen, they're generally pretty deadly. Like, I, you know, because my characters are usually pretty normal people. They're not superheroes by any stretch, and, you know, combats should be deadly. But when I visualized this fight, I, in my head, saw, I think because I had five characters in that party, I, I saw five characters surrounding this carrying crawler. One or two of them being paralyzed, and then the other three slaughtering it pretty quickly because they didn't have a whole lot of hit points. They were fairly low hit point creatures. I mean, they're scavengers. Their primary method of attack is to paralyze their victim, drag them away, and eat them, you know, for dinner. They're not usually fighting five things. But just because the way the D&D works, the party didn't do what I thought it would do, and they ended up attacking it almost one at a time. So one of the characters was paralyzed, 
well before the others got involved, and it was able to paralyze the new attacker and then paralyze the third attacker. And it, it just it didn't work out where they were in a ten foot by ten foot room, five PCs attacking the carrying car. That's not what happened. And I'd, I had already established this fact, and it was too late before I realized. Oh God, I've really overpowered this. And so then it was just a matter of, well, we're just going to start over. So then I just went with it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it, at what time frame in your gaming career was this? Was this early on or was this about halfway to where we are now? Oh yeah, this was, and again, just rough math. I'm going to guess about 12 years ago. So okay. I've been, I've been DMing for about 16 years, but I was new to, the I think this is, Right when 3.0, 3.5 came out, I was pretty new to that. So I wasn't a, an expert at the system, which I'm honestly I never. Usually when I play d and I'm the least knowledgeable of the game of anyone because I focus on story and I let other people worry about the rules. So that's not unusual for me. But yeah, I didn't understand how that monster worked. I didn't understand how much deadlier I was making it by mm. increasing that. Okay. So... I, I guess we can say that the fault of that TPK was yours as the GM. Yes, correct. I, I, I think it is fine for GMs to change up monsters, manipulate them, make them harder, make them easier, mostly because it makes the game challenging and it it gives your players something to be excited about. I mean, in, in a game like Dungeons & Dragons or any other role-playing game, for the most part, players have as much access to the gaming material as the GM. Monsters aren't really a surprise. A GM might make a brand new monster, or they might introduce one from another book that they've switched over. They might use a book or supplement online or PDF that the players haven't seen yet, so everyone is totally surprised by what's going on. But for the most part, I think anyone with a couple years of gaming experience you know what a goblin's going to do. You know what a dragon's going to do. And when you've seen a couple of the weirder monsters, like carrion crawlers or vampires or whites or bugbears or whatever, you start to expect their attacks. You know what they are. And if you're someone like, like me, who just sits down and reads gaming books, you end up knowing all the, the monster stat blocks after a while. So... As a GM, you're, you want to challenge yourself and you want to challenge your players. So the balance there is not only changing an attack or changing a stat block in a way that is fair and will work properly, but also being cognizant of the combat as you are running it. And you also have to have in the back of your head how far you want this to go. Now, if the angry DM was with us, he wouldn't care. I, his, his words are pretty much, it's up to your players to, to, to react appropriately. And if they are not smart enough to run away from a combat that's too hard, then they have earned those consequences of death. Now, Michael, well, you... Oh, go ahead. I'm I, sorry. I, would say I would even argue, by angry standards, what did the carrying crawler want? It wanted to eat. So realistically, it probably, once everybody had been paralyzed, it would have picked the biggest, meatiest one drug it away to its lair and devoured it, and potentially the other characters might have become unparalyzed just by time before it came back. But cool. once they were all paralyzed, we're just like, all right, you're dead, and we 
kind of ended it there. But we're we're kind of getting too far into this, which I think this is an enjoyable conversation. But I don't, you know, th- that's a different topic. If we really want to to break it down, we should go further. But just from the lexicon standpoint, a TPK is when the entire party dies. In my experience, a lot of times it, it's not the entire party; like it's three out of four. But rather than that lone warrior going on and the campaign being rebuilt around them, we just usually go party wipe, reboot, start over. Right. That's a that's a that's a real good basic definition. Now you could also expand that to be the entire party is incapacitated to the point of being unable to continue the adventure. Everyone's arrested. Everyone's locked in a different dimension. Everyone is trapped inside a giant monster and they can't get out. Something like that. Correct. It, it's a way for basically the, without some heavy-handed GM intervention, the game is essentially stopped. Usually that's by party character. Usually. Which is one of the reasons why we picked this topic for tonight's lexicon, because we are going to talk specifically about all the various ways that campaigns can end, including TPKs, as we move further in. But before we get to those actual topics, we want to take one quick moment and say thank you to our newest patron, Jeremy V., you uh, you spelled your name for me phonetically. I'm still not going to try it because it will be awful, and I'll apologize for it. Uh, but Jeremy V has joined us as a patron on the through the Patreon website, and so we thank you very much for your patronage and your support. And then uh, Caleb, you have a surprise topic that I know nothing about, so let's go ahead and do that now. What what are you going to throw at me tonight? Well, uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to throw a quick little uh, synergy concept on the table here tonight. I wanted to tie this into the reality of what is happening at this real point in time, which is not the point our listeners will be hearing it, Uh, but up here in Ohio, um, we have a blood moon going on, or there was one this morning. So, huge, gigantic full moon uh, that in the pre-dawn light looked really fucking scary, because it was blood red. So, synergy moment. How could you use the Blood Moon concept in your game? Uh, I think, obviously, uh, a, a cheap answer, good answer, but still pretty cheap, easy on the creation, uh, creativity gears, is have it tie to some lycanthropy, have it uh, kick up the werewolves or the rare rats or bring them out. Maybe they're worshipping it, maybe they're doing some sacrifice, maybe it just makes them go nuts. Could be, it could have something to do with a sacrifice, a ritual, an arcane arcane happening that hasn't happened for years or a certain cult or, or a certain crazed wizard is trying to bring about. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the I'm a big fan of the astrological phenomenon. I've worked in that into many of my games where uh, that that also sets a timetable to the game which helps add a little urgency and drama that you know the next full moon which will be this blood moon is, you know, 28 days away. So you have 28 days to stop, find, eradicate, remove the potential for this. Um, I like things to be triggered uh, because the, a full moon also has something to do with the tides, at least on our Earth. So it would be assuming it would be on the other. So maybe the blood moon uh, has a greater effect on the tides, which allows a monster that, you know, it only it only surfaces once a year. And, uh, you know, so everyone in the village protects themselves and like no ships are on the sea uh, or on the, the lake during this time. And of course, because it's a game of drama, somebody sneaks off and decides to propose to their sweetheart that night. And then the PCs have to go rescue them. Um, 
it's a great time for a flying creature because you got that awesome kick-ass Batman moment where the big thing flies in front of the blood moon and you have the silhouette. So a dragon or a wyvern or some other flying creature would be a great uh, enemy to have at that moment. I, I think if we want to take the flip side of that coin, maybe it's tied to a benefit for the PCs. Um, still using your time frame idea, maybe a, a deity or a patron saint of the PCs has said, okay, within the three-day time span of this blood moon, you guys are, are granted our, our strength and our power, and you give your players uh, some sort of magical bonus to stats and extra abilities, something like that. Maybe they've acquired certain artifacts, and the artifacts activate only within this three-day period. So instead of throwing a monster at them that only is around in these certain days or will come at the end of this time frame, maybe the challenge for them is to line up their goals so that within these three days they can knock them out when they have these crazy high bonuses. Yeah, it's like a sort of a universal environmental effect that you see a lot of in fourth edition that, you know, this stone, if you're next to it, you get plus two yeah. fire damage because it's connected to the fire plane. So this, for the three days of the blood moon, these artifacts, these weapons that maybe you got at first level that they were magical, but you never truly figured out what they did. They are now super mega weapons, uh, but you only have them for three days every, every year for three days. They're the most powerful weapons that you're ever going to have. What do you do with those three days? Exactly. So you, 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 you're, you're treasure hunters. So you, you find a dungeon that's crazy dangerous but has awesome treasure. So you're lining up your travel, your teleport, the keys to get to the dungeon, whatever you need, so that on that first day, power up your weapons and go. At, but of course, with a campaign like that, you have all the interest of the weapons getting stolen, uh, other interested parties trying to buy them or wheedle you out of them or challenge you for them. You could do a lot with that, with really anything about this. Maybe something crazy, like maybe uh, during the course of a campaign, you, you run chances for PCs to secretly get infected with some sort of rare lycanthropy or rare disease, and you're dropping these hints about the blood moon or these, you know, something, someone changing or a hero evolving. And the PC didn't know. Like, like the player doesn't know, the character doesn't know, failed to save, or, or you roll a save for them. And then all of a sudden this happens, and you say to your player, all right, Jeff, uh, the, the light of the blood moon shines through the clouds, and all of a sudden your fighter starts to grow and turn, and you're now X creature, or you've grown a, a limb from the middle of your back, and it's this weird tentacle thing. I mean, you could go crazy if you wanted to. Yeah, maybe, maybe they're cursed in a way that they basically go into Pond Far during the Blood Moon, and they all become super aggressive and uh, fighting each other over the affections of a, a loved one in the town, or maybe there's a female in the party, or male in the party, you got a lot of females. But there's like a, an aggressiveness, not necessarily lycanthropy, but there's an aggressiveness that they have to fight against. It makes them the bad guys in a way. Maybe they, they wake up three days later and they've done all these horrible things that they don't remember doing. Ooh, now that would be fun. Kind of give them a blackout scene right at the end of a, a nightly session. Start the next session. All right, guys, it's three days later. You're waking up. You're in the, the ruins of your town is burning and crumbling around you. 
and you are at the center of the radius of this damage. And storming towards you is the town sheriff, all the elders, and a mob of commoners with, with pitch, pitchforks and torches. What happened? What did you do? <laughs> yeah, what did you do? Yeah. So I just wanted to do something kind of different, kind of creative. We haven't uh, thrown out some random ideas lately. Uh, we've been pretty busy with interviews and other things. So I, I think uh, something like that is important to do every once in a while. And I think it helps ground your campaign in a somewhat of reality. Not that D&D has to be based on reality, but I think certain little things like that helps the characters be centered. If you have a recognizable calendar, which I'm not one that likes to necessarily keep up with, you've been traveling for three weeks, which means it's now Thor's day in the month of Arbor or something. But if you have, you know, characters have birthdays, if they have festivals, I'm a big one for festivals. I like to throw out that the the, uh, the spring harvest uh, is in three weeks. And then, you know, something's going to happen around that time. It, again, it just it helps set timetables in the game that drive the tension and drive the drama, but it also helps ground the reality. I, I One I've used many times before is uh, in this from a book that I read, the Strawberry Festival, that it's a, you know, it's a big sort of uh, event for a lot of the local children because they bring in all the strawberries and they're very sweet fruit and all the, you know, there's like, they give free giveaways. And of course, someone's dastardly poisoned all the strawberries. So kids start dying because I'm an asshole. Um, so you take this, this great moment that's supposed to be this really fun time and you make it evil and twisted and you make the players hate whoever did that. Uh, and that's an adventure hook that I like. So I like to throw out festivals and uh, events in my games and, and helps uh, ground the world and set timetables, which I think are important for a story. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times you can get lost in the campaign, lost in the adventure, and uh, it just becomes people wandering through the woods or exploring a dungeon, and you, you don't have that sense of time passing. Or it just becomes, all right, guys, it's two weeks later and this is happening. All right, it's, it's the next month. Or, or, oh, you've been in a dungeon for three weeks. You know, it can get kind of crazy either way. So, yeah, so if, if your game wants to stick to a daily, monthly, yearly calendar and you guys like doing it, run with it. If you want to instead just kind of pepper in the passing of time and put in those seasonal festivals or something to mark, you know, the beginning of the year, the end of the year, just to give your players a sense of progression, that's cool too. And I think working in something that's happening in the real world, just to kind of make it more interesting in the game. So, okay, so the Blood Moon was today. Put it into your game next week or the week after. This is going to sound silly, but, you know, Thanksgiving, Halloween, Christmas, work those holidays into your game. Not necessarily the actual holiday, but hey, it's Yuletide, or it's whatever Day of the Dead celebration your people has. Hey, it, it's Super Bowl time. There's a giant gladiator game going on in the gaming world that everyone participates in throughout the year gearing up for. I mean, you can pull these real-world events just to make the game more interesting, um, give yourself a little bit of a break and trying to come up with a crazy idea, just work with what's really happening. Yeah, and it may be a little bit, little bit tongue-in-cheek, like the Super Bowl idea. But, again, I think in a lot of groups, that 
they're going to appreciate that. Like, I don't think anyone's going to go, boo. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. There's this big sporting event. And then they're probably going to think of ways that they can use that to their advantage, whether it be they want to fight in it or maybe they want to try to pickpocket people who are there. Or while everyone's there, we're going to go uh, rob the magistrate and get that book that we've been trying to get for the last three weeks. Uh, so, yeah, I think those are actually really good. And one thing I would say from from the improv standpoint, what I would suggest is, um, you know, let's say it's the start of the game. And you're still setting and establishing the world, and you look at a player and say, uh, "There's a there's a big event coming up in the next few weeks. It's it's something that everyone in the town is excited about. What is it?" And have your player go, "Oh, well, it's Midsummer Festival. Okay, well, when when exactly is that? Well, it's uh, it's three weeks on the night of the full moon. So what what does this village do for that? And you use that as collaborative story building, get them into the the idea of they're also building this world. They get to throw their ideas out and make it like a group project rather than use the DM constantly having to create everything in the world. I think that's probably a better way to go about it unless you have a specific thing already planned for it. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, as much fun as we all have at, at running games and coming up with those creative elements, it's a lot of work. And I think you and I have talked about this specifically in previous shows. We both kind of started our GM careers as that kind of crazy over-planner. And we would kill ourselves spending hours and days and weeks writing the minutia for this campaign and then have everything go to hell after two seconds of player input. Uh, I think we're both learning. Um, I know I am not there yet, but we are both learning how to loosen up, how to involve player input a lot more. Um, honestly, Michael, from your games, the way you are asking us as players to give advice, not advice, but give input and define aspects of the game, I think is working really, really well. So we're definitely getting there. And um, I certainly hope our listeners have picked up on our journey <laughs> and our learning from our mistakes. That's right. We, we are leveling up as GMs as well as players. So this this kind of brings me to another quick topic that I want to cover here just because it's, uh, it's relevant. I, I tweeted this out a couple days ago. I'm not sure if you saw it. Um, but I noticed uh, recently while I was editing an episode of, of our podcast that there was a moment where the players, and it doesn't matter which particular group, uh, this is, but there were the players were kind of getting on a little bit of a tangent at the table, just talking, but they were talking in character, not necessarily like voices, but they were talking about the game and about the story. And I was trying to push the story along maybe because time was getting close to being out for that session, or there was like a point place I was trying to get to. But I realized that I kind of stole a good moment there from my players and I really wish I could go back and just shut up. Like that's, that's probably one of the biggest tools that I still need to get into my GM toolbox is the ability to just be quiet when I need to. I mean, we've joked plenty of times, but I'm a talker. I'm a talker during our games. I, I probably talk too much when I'm running. I need to just to not talk as much in general, but in this specific incident, it was very clear to me that my players were having fun. They were building the story of the world by talking about things. They were, they were, you know, they were joking. And I sort of like the dictator came in and was like, no, you may not have fun your way. You must have fun my way and push the story forward. And it was, and it wasn't awful 
and I didn't notice it at the time, but listen back to it, I was like, that that's a missed opportunity. So I would just like to throw out as a GM tip, learn to be quiet on occasion. If you're if your characters are if your players are talking about the story or they're talking in character, then just let them until it plays out. And, and you'll you'll get used to that. You'll notice that when it starts to die down. But some of the most funny, most interesting things that 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 are being said are probably being said in those moments bef- before you interrupt them. What do you think about that, Caleb? I'm not sure how I should answer this question. Feels very dangerous. Um, in a very unspecific answer, yes. I think a lot of times someone in a creative leadership position, it's very difficult to learn to be quiet. And sometimes it's difficult to learn when the proper moment is to be quiet and when the proper moment is to take control. And it's a very fine line to walk. Um, when, when you're running a game, you want, to, you want to take control, you want to lead the story, sometimes because you want to tell your story, but sometimes beca- because you know you want to move the game forward. Because as much fun as we're having joking around, you know you want to get to the next part of the game, whether it's combat or a cool role-playing moment. So part of you wants to keep that momentum going, but part of you also sometimes wants just to let the, the players or the characters interact a little bit. And let's be honest, sometimes if you let the PCs interact or the players talk about something that's happening, you can, one, get a clue on what they're going to do next and... Uh, react appropriately or prepare appropriately, or two, you can steal some really good ideas from them. (laughs) Uh, I I think we've said this on a previous show, um, if you're presenting a a, a strange occurrence or a set of clues to your party, sometimes you get way better ideas with how those clues resolve from the players themselves. Oh, Absolutely. And and I know I've, I've given that specific advice before is just listen to your players. But usually what I mean by that is as when they're talking as the players and they're saying, well, you know, we I can't think I'm struggling for a good example right now. But basically, I'm, you're listening to your players talk about your game and what what they find important, what pieces of information they have sort of focused on that they think is super important, which you may have just made up on the spot, and you realize, okay, they think this is important. I either need to correct them so they don't waste time, or I just need to make that mean something so that they enjoy the the chase of that piece of information or or whatever. But in this specific specific incident, they were role-playing, and they were having fun, and I stopped it, and I just feel Mm -hmm. like... That was the worst thing that I could have done. And I don't think anybody noticed. I don't think anybody was upset. And it wasn't until I was listening back to it because I was like, I was kind of enjoying the conversation that they were having as the audience. I was like, oh, that's good. And then here comes the DM going, okay, okay, well, first of all, you know, and and just sort of like, I I started talking again. So, again, just to kind of move this on, um, as a GM, learn when to not talk. And then learn when you need to push the story forward. And I would say as long as your characters or your players are having fun, especially if they are talking in character, role-playing, let it go on as long as you can. You may not get to that cool moment, but if they have more fun, then what does it matter? 
I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, but I, I do think it's important to say that it's always important as the GM to recognize the fact that you are the GM. And sometimes you need to assert a little bit of control with what's happening, just in the appropriate way, based on the situation and based on your players and your GM style and their play style and what's happening in the game. Yeah, and again, I would agree with that as well. Um, just to touch on it quickly, like, even if your players are talking about not the game, like if they're still talking about the new video game that came out or the new movie that came out or the new TV show that just came out, you probably need to let them get that out of their system a little bit. Like like when you first get it at your table, don't just sit down at the table and go. You know, allow for a few minutes of these people who've got other lives and jobs and families. And, you know, usually there's like a 20, 30 minute conversation where people just talk about stuff and they're getting their character sheets out they're getting their dice out. You know, I think just from a social aspect, it's good to let them kind of get that out of their way. And then you just realize that this is the point where is the DM I need to go. <clears throat> okay, so you guys ready to get started? All right, everybody got your drinks? Okay. And then you kind of give a recap of where you're at and you move forward. But specifically when they're in character and they're talking about the game, be much more willing to let that go on a little bit longer than I would a conversation about a game that happens two hours into the session. Now they're two characters because they're they're not actively role playing right now. I'm I'm role playing with another guy about their you know, shopkeeper and these two characters start talking about the newest video game. That's something that you probably can be more aggressive saying, hey, you know, you know, focus on the story here. We'll get to that later. But if they're talking about the game and they're talking in the game, just let that go as long as you can. I, I think, you know, we both have talked many times about how we want to be writers. And I have experienced this thing that I've heard other successful writers say that sometimes when you're writing a story, your characters start to do things that you as the writer didn't expect or didn't plan for. It's as old, almost as if the characters have become alive and they are now making their own choices. Now, this is obviously a, a, a pro projection of the subconscious or it's just basically saying, okay, well, I created this detail, so now what's the most logical step? And it sort of just builds upon itself, but it may not have gone where you originally planned it for. And that's a very, I mean, it's, it's a metaphor to role-playing games in general as a DM. It, it, that's how things happen. But that's exactly the sort of the experience that we were having. I had created a world as the DM and it populated with these players and they started doing things as if they were real people. And rather than going with it, I tried to shut that down and force it into the direction I had originally intended. And I just think that was the worst possible thing for me to have done. Yes, I will agree with you. I, I wasn't in that game, so I, I don't know all the details, but just from what you described, yeah, that was probably a bad call. So the sound you hear is a horse that's dead that we are still beating. So let us move on. So now, <laughs> so on to our main table topic for tonight. Uh, this came from Facebook because again we we had planned on doing an interview tonight. So this this we didn't have a lot of time to prepare specifically for this event. So I just threw out a, a kind of a question on Facebook, and one of the comments that we got back that I thought was a really good one. We got a couple in particular. I think they're both good, but this one kind of struck a chord with me for tonight. The other one I still want to get to eventually is uh, talk about all the different ways that campaigns end. Cause you know, that's, that's something that's going to happen, whether it's the first time you've ran a campaign or you're or like me, you've done it for 30 years now. Campaigns end. It's just something that happens. 
but what are the different ways that it can happen? And if you don't want it to, what are some ways that you can prevent it? And we touched on this already with the TPK, but Caleb, so what are some of the experiences you've had for reasons why a campaign dies? Well, I, I think the, the biggest culprit here is simply the real world. A lot of times campaigns end simply because no one has time to come to a session, someone gets a new job, someone moves, there's a life change that happens. Um, I think in a worst-case scenario, a falling out between friends makes it kind of difficult and stressful within the group itself. I mean, people change. We all grow up and evolve and, and become different people, so sometimes uh, our gaming habits have to suffer and change because of that. So from an unfortunate standpoint, a lot of I think the biggest culprit of a campaign ending is simply real life saying, you guys can't play anymore. I would agree. In, in my experience, different variations of that are almost always why my campaign's end. I, I think I mentioned uh, early on in our shows when uh, the Made Men game ended that it's the only time I can remember in the entire time, which is getting close to 30 years now that I have been running games, that I actually said the end on a campaign, that it actually ended where it was sort of supposed to. It ended with a completion of the story. It's usually because people stop showing up, uh, you know, the group falls apart. That's the number one reason why I think I've experienced, you know, the group falls apart. Or people get so busy that they miss for a while, and we and you lose interest in that game. You know, you, you, you like it, but... You have this person misses for three weeks, and then this person misses for three weeks. So you start doing little one-shot games in the middle, or you change it to a board game night, or you just say, okay, we, we'll, we'll take two weeks off. And then when you get back together, everyone's like, well, you know, why don't we just start something new tonight? And so, yeah, I'd absolutely agree that most of my, my experience, most games end not because of something in the game, but because of things outside of the game. And that's just the reality. Ideally, any of us who are committed players always want to either play to the natural conclusion of a story or finish the campaign arc that they are on and potentially take those characters in a new direction. And I think as GMs, as storytellers, that's what we want to do as well. I like running one-shots. If I know it's a one-shot, if, if I get together with my group and say, all right, guys, all we have time for is a one-shot this Friday night for a few hours, so let's make X characters, we'll put them in Y situation and just have some fun. That's great if I know going into it what I'm doing. But when I, if, if I set out to write a campaign, whether I'm actually writing a story from A to Z or whether I'm just plotting out some random occurrences and events and tying them together through improv at the table as we're going, if I sit down and actually structure out that campaign, that story arc, and then only get to play one session, I feel cheated as a GM. And the whole point of this is to have fun. And I feel like that lessens my fun a little bit. Now, I don't want that to come across as being a dick because any time I get to play, I have fun. I really, really do. But I think that fun is lessened a little bit 
if I start building a story and a world in my head, and after a few hours of working with this world and these characters, and I say, all right, this is going to be cool. Next session we're going to do this, and oh, I'll bring this character back in, and that one, the, the, the PCs talk to this one NPC, and oh, I'm going to make him be this really cool recurring character and like bring back this, and then everyone says, hey, that was awesome, and never, it never happens again, I get bummed out. And I feel like I have this story now stuck in my head that I can't do anything with. <laughs> and I have a lot of those stories stuck in my head that I can't do anything with. Yeah. No, believe me, I, I have experienced that quite often. For yeah. me, I would say that next to real life intruding where uh, players just start dropping game, the, the entire group falls apart. I mean, just since we've been doing this podcast, that's happened to me. I started this podcast with uh, Nico, Evan, and Rob. None of those people are currently in my games at all anymore. Uh, and even the, the people that have come in since then have changed. You know, we've added players and uh, moved things around. Like, that's just a natural evolution of the of the game, in my experience. Um, I think we've joked before that uh, playing D&D is for the... Like, be, being a DM for the first time is kind of like sex. Most people aren't very good at it to begin with. It probably will involve some crying and apologizing. And very likely, you're not going to be with the first group that you do that with forever. It doesn't doesn't quite work that way out for most people. I'm really concerned why you use the term group in that metaphor. Well, the metaphor breaks down at that point, unless you're in, you know, a very open. Know. <laughs> you got a little bit of a Freudian flip in the Michael's uh, real life here behind the curtain, guys. I will say nothing. Okay, good, because I don't want to hear I it. I will neither de- deny nor confirm that. But to continue that metaphor... When you uh, when you start to write a campaign and can't finish it, that's absolutely GM blue balls. <laughs> okay, and we're done. It's blue dice. It's, I have a I it's have blue two, dice. I have blue dice in my, my hand oh, right you now. You got those blue d twenties, man. Damn. That's, yeah, they're uh, they need to be rolled like <laughs> now. They have, they have not been rolled in a while. I need to get these crits out. Yeah, these dice need to come out and get hit the table hard. Oh, these crits are so backed up. But the most second most common reason that I find that my games end are because I lose interest as the DM. I am really good, if I for putting humility aside, I'm really good at first games. I put a lot more effort into the first games. I, I have a lot more things planned out, and I do a better job of organizing them and making sure that I'm keeping the tempo up and I've got good pacing and things are exciting. After that first game, I then have to deal with the consequences of what happened and I don't always do a good job of maintaining that level. Or, like what happens in Made Men, I constantly try to up the ante until I get to the point where you can't have any more craziness. The world is going to end tomorrow how do I make that more exciting? Multiple worlds are going to end tomorrow. The multiverse will end the day after that. So it gets too top-heavy with the drama, and it, it stops being interesting and exciting. It becomes melodrama. So that's the second most common reason that I've experienced that a game will end is because as the DM, I just kind of lose interest in the game. It, it you know, it, uh, it, the, as soon as I have one session that just didn't go the way I wanted it to, then I'm like, okay, well, is it worth the effort of trying to steer this ship back on the direction? And I think be- becoming more improv focused, because I'm that's pretty new to me. Like I, I, most of my career, I've been that over preparing, write a story, stick to it, DM. 
it's only been very recently that I've really embraced this improv nature. It makes it a lot easier for me to roll with the punches and just just keep creating things. Uh, so that's less likely to happen to me. But I'm, I mean, my past is littered with a field of fallen campaigns where I started out that campaign. This is going to be the greatest campaign ever. And after that first session, we just never played it again. Or after the first couple, it it didn't live up to that first session, and then we just never went back to it. Hmm. Well, I think that's probably coming then more from, from your end than the player's end. Yes. That's, that's definitely you. I, I think you're putting just too much pressure on yourself. I, I don't think that speaks to you not writing a good game or not running a good game but you are being overly critical of yourself. Hogwash. I'm, I'm never overly critical of myself. <laughs> it, it's certainly a problem to deal with, though. And I would say in that specific situation, if you have prepared a story or prepared a game and you as a GM feel like you're losing interest, one possible solution there is to open yourself up to some player input. If you've gotten to a point where you feel like your story is a chore to run, that means you're too predictable. You're you're too bogged down with what you know is going to happen. So ask a player. Whether you do it at the table, whether you do it over email, whether you just confide with one of your players, hey man, I'm getting a little burned out here, but I want to keep running. Give me an idea. Give me something to do. Give me something to spark my creativity. Or you do you do a um, a synergy pack. You you do a plot pack. You you do something totally off the wall to introduce a new element that you have to force yourself to adapt to. There are tons and tons of resources online for random encounter generators, random campaign element generators. All the old 3.5 edition books are full of D100 tables that you can just roll for environments and monsters and encounter types. Pathfinder had a ton of physical uh, supplemental uh, ev- uh, supplies for this kind of thing, decks of cards that you could draw things out of. Just different ways to, to randomly make things happen. I mean, geez, grab your monster manual and just flip to a random page and use that thing. Make yourself use it. Work either force yourself to work it into the campaign or just deal with it as something random and challenge yourself to then work it back into the campaign. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, keeping yourself motivated as a DM, because it's, well, it, for me, those are, those are two separate issues. And we're getting ready to jump around a little bit, and I apologize. Uh, again, we didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare for this one. But being where I lose interest in the game that I'm running it to me is different than burnout because I think, I think it does go to my, my personality. I'm a little bit OCD. I have ADHD. I am, I am hypercritical of myself. Those are things that I know about myself. So when I have a game that in my mind, this is the next Lord of the Rings, this is going to be the most epic game ever. My characters are going to start as zero level farmers and they are going to build up until they save the entire world. And they're going to have be the greatest heroes ever. And we have that one session that just, falls flat i kind of i'm ready to move on to the next story like i just i lose interest in my my own story or i just i feel like i've failed in a way it's like oh this this session was not good and i kind of feel like that ruins the entire campaign and that's just something that i know i'm 
my mental issues that I have, my uh, personality quirks. But that is something that I've experienced as a DM, and I, I just I have a hard time staying with a campaign once I feel like it's quote unquote ruined. From the burnout standpoint, that's where I suggest like a rotating DM structure. Or right now, my home games we rotate. Uh, one week we play Star Wars uh, as a player. The next week we play D and D, which I'm currently a player. I'm going to be starting a game here soon that I'm going to be running. But this, you know, this changes it up a little bit. It gives you two weeks to prepare rather than one between each session. So as a DM, I have a little bit more time. And also the rotating DM structure within the same game where I'm not the only one required to create the game. I run for two or three sessions and then we switch over and let someone else run. Those are all things that you can do to try to keep you as the DM interested in the game, focused on the game, uh, and having fun. I also find as a player... That usually when I'm playing, even if I'm having the most fun I've ever had, in my head I'm still thinking, that's not how I would have done that. Or, oh, that's a cool idea. How could I use that in my games? So by playing, it often re-energizes me to want to start DMing again right away. So I'm constantly like taking notes and mental notes and scribbles like, oh, when I, when I run again, this is what I'm going to do. So I think being a player is one of the best things you can do to, to re-energize yourself for being a DM. Definitely. I, I, I absolutely agree with all of that. That all being said, why don't we return to the original question, not from a standpoint of reality, but from a standpoint of the game. So why would a game end from within the game? We've talked about why it might end in reality. Everyone gets sick, everyone gets bored. It, well, I do want to step, that's, that's one thing I don't want to step back to, is because we didn't really give any advice for that, and I, I want to... Sure. What, right, right. what can we do um, to try to keep that from happening? I mean, again, life is life, but are there things that you can do to try to keep that from happening in your games? Is there anything that you've done for your games that you've been a part of that's tried to minimize that or to just work around it? Well, uh, I think I want to kind of quote ourselves at this point. We've talked in a couple past shows about ways to keep a game moving if players are not there. Sometimes, as the GM, you take control of their characters. Uh, sometimes you ask a player to maybe, quote-unquote, run two characters at the table, or at least be in charge of that other person's, that other character's combat actions. They fade into the background for social interactions. That's certainly one way to continue the game. You could continue the story from another perspective and maybe have the players that are there have a separate or a secondary set of characters that uh, that factor in or come to life when the main party is unable to be uh, functioning at maximum capacity. If, if you want to keep the same story going, you don't really want to cheapen out and switch to another game or roll up new characters... We've talked about in the past experimenting with different mechanical and statistical ways to incorporate a PC who is not able to be lively played. Okay, so the fighter, the the, the fighter isn't there, uh, but we're going to pretend he's there and give pe- give the current players or current PCs uh, some different attack and defense bonuses, pretending that the fighter is there giving advice and uh, controlling combat a little bit and shouting tactics. Or or if the guy playing the sorcerer or the wizard is not there, we're instead going to have some secondary mechanical effects that kick in 
on other players' turns. Like, okay, you're randomly doing some extra fire damage now because the wizard's off doing something, we just can't see what it is. We have not come to a, a solution that I feel is accurate to do that yet, but it's there. The, the concept is there, the foundation is there. In reality, though, I think the most important thing to do is just ask your players what they want to do. Just be honest. Hey, guys, I really like the story. I'd like to continue it, but we're missing a couple people tonight. Um, I don't want to give up on this game yet. How do we want to do this? Do we want to play on without them? Do you want to just ignore them and have them in the background? Do you want me to run them for you? Do you guys want to double up? Do we want to pause this part of the game and, and flip it around and explore a different part of this world? Uh, what what do you guys want to do? And that's a fair question. There's nothing wrong with asking that. Yeah, I think um, to kind of to piggyback on some of the things that you were saying there, the things that I do uh, or try to do, one, I try not to ever miss a game. Like, I really work hard, and I have the text message chains to prove it, where, let's say, like, this week, we, we can't – Thursday is our normal night. We can't play Thursday because I'm on vacation. So I'm like, okay, well, can we play Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday? So we had a whole bunch of emails and texts going back and forth. Okay, we can do this, we can do that, we can do this, we can do that. And then we finally came up that we uh, we were going to play Monday. And then like right at the last minute, that didn't work. We're like, okay, well, I guess we can't play this week. I'm like, well, what about Tuesday? And, I mean, we, oh, my God, I can't even tell you how many times I emailed and text people, and we finally got a game together. We were able to play last night. It wasn't the full table. But we had enough people show up that we were able to continue the game, and we didn't miss. And for me, it's kind of like a TV show. You know, if it's, if it's not a TV show that you're in love with yet, like you're you're still building it. You know, Gotham might be a good example right now that you're you're watching it and you're writing for Geekly Inc. But let's say something happens and you miss a week, and you can't go back and rewatch it. It's not available. Whatever you miss the time frame on the websites that show it. Whatever the case may be, because obviously with DVRs that's difficult. But whatever. Let's just say for sake of argument, you cannot go backwards and watch it. Are you more or less likely to watch it next week? I think the answer you're looking for is less likely. Once you miss one, I think it's easier to make an excuse to not do the second. Correct. For most people, I'm sure there are exceptions out there, but for the most people, most part, if you miss a session, it makes it easier to miss the next session. And you have people that have legitimate reasons. You know, they have babies being born. They have weddings that they're in or attending. They have, you know, snow emergencies and they can't get out of their house. Things happen to get games to cancel. But once you start missing them, each time it makes it a little easier to, the excuses become less urgent, but but they still are excuses that they will not play. Oh, you know, I have to get up early tomorrow, so we'd have to quit half an hour early. So rather than playing it all, we'll just, I'll just skip this week. So try your best just not to skip. And one of the things that Brad did, uh, Brad, Brad Plox did, I have to give him a lot of credit for, is early on into our Star Wars game, we had a situation where, like, people just couldn't make it. Like, we just... You know, we showed up at the, at the last minute. Two people weren't able to be there. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to just cancel it? Do you want to play board games? Like, what are we going to do now? He's like, oh, no, we're going to play. And we actually played in the future. So me and the character that were there had a side quest that in the game didn't happen until two weeks later in the real game. And then the next week when we played, we played up to the point where that side quest started. And he's like... Well, this is the challenge. You guys have to make sure that we get to this point 
by the end of tonight's session. So when I release those episodes, I'm actually going to release them in chronological order in game time. So you're going to listen to a session that happened after the session that actually, if that makes sense. But he's like, no, we are not missing. We were playing. And I'm like, you know, I like that. I like the fact that he's willing. And we did, you know, last two sessions, actually, we've been down two players, but we are still playing the game. We are coming up with ways while the other characters aren't there. We're we're semi-role playing them. But we try our damnedest not to miss a game, whether that's through all the text messages, setting up a Google calendar so that people can say, hey, these are the days I can play and these are the days that I can't. Whatever the case may be, try your damnedest not to miss a session. Now, the other side of that, I'm going to say, is as a DM, don't let your players want to miss a session. Make every session so freaking awesome that they don't want to miss the next week. And again, going back to the TV show, if every episode is awesome, you're not going to miss the next episode. You're going to find a way to watch it, whether it's you have to go to your buddy's house who has cable and watch it on his DVR. You're going to download it illegally on the Internet. You're going to go to a legal site. Whatever the case may be, if you love that show, you're going to find a way to watch that next episode. Now, obviously, not every ep- session is going to be fantastic. We all have down moments. But the biggest thing that I'll impart here, this is a lesson that I learned from Made Men. And I, th- th- I still think... And it, well, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I actually want to take a moment to thank everyone who is still listening to our show that started off with Made Men. Because just recently I found several new podcasts that I'm trying out, and some of them are brand new. And I'm listening to their first episodes, and there are several that are not quite that great. But I like, you know what? I want to go back and listen to some of our first episodes and see if maybe I'm being a little harsh. Our first campaign, Made Men, were awful. The, the the audio quality is crap, and I, I cannot believe that people actually listened to those and stuck with it, so thank you so much if you did. End of tangent. <laughs> but what happened with Made Men is I thought it was a one-shot, so I didn't have all these secrets that were set to play out over months. I threw every freaking thing in the world in that game. We had princesses being captured and murdered. We had uh, sea pirates. We had uh, drug deals. We had bandits fighting in the street. We had an ogre fight. Like, I kept throwing stuff at these characters because I thought we were only going to play one day, and I wanted it to be super fun. And it, it was so super fun that we stopped playing the game we were playing and started playing that one because it was better. Play every session kind of like it's a one-shot. Make sure it's exciting. Make sure it's fun. Don't have secrets that stay secrets. If that campaign ends tomorrow and you're thinking, ah, God, if they'd only played three more weeks, they would have got to the thing. Then put that fucking thing in that first game so that people know it's there. Because, again, it's a role-playing game. It's not a book. It's not a movie. It's, it doesn't exactly work that way. Now, maybe it would be better in the perfect scenario where you play for 12 years and then you finally realize that your kid actually went in time and they're the bad guy. Okay, not that I've done that. Okay, I've done that. But what I'm saying is is front-load the coolness. Don't expect for the game to last three years before you get to the cool moment. You may never get there. So make sure the cool moment is in every single game that you play. Give your players a reason to not want to miss the next game. There should be no filler episodes in a D&D game. Yes, I will definitely agree with that. No filler sessions. Keep, keep the excitement. Keep the pace up. But temper all that with logic. Don't kill yourself trying to run the craziest game possible. You're always you're going to burn out too fast. And then you're going to fall prey to what we just said a minute ago. Oh, well, I don't think I can run this 
game this week as great as I did last week, so now I don't want to run. So you don't want to kill yourself. You've got to find that sweet spot between keeping the entertainment level up and keeping your own creativity level up as well. And that's, that's hard to find. Unless you are a, project, a, a prodigy savant at this, and you can just do it perfectly from day one, you've got to find that by experience. And it's a lot of error and a lot of trial. Agreed. And I'm going to give very contradictory advice to what I've said to this point, but it's also a very important point, is that there will be times when you need to skip a game. It should be rare. You should try not to do it. But if you just don't feel up to running because work, life, you're sick, you're, you're just not feeling it, there are times when it's better just not to run than to run a bad session. Like if you're just, um, and I actually, there's a, there's a podcast that I listen to and there's no point, uh, you know, given names, but, but I could tell that the DM wasn't prepared listening to that episode. I'm like, they, they were the worst person at the table with trying to come up with side conversations. And you could tell that they would rather spend their two hours that night talking about a movie than running the game because they weren't prepared to run the game at all. And I, I mean, as a listener, I was like, clearly they are just trying to fill three or four hours of time, whatever it is, with playing as little as possible because they don't have anything prepared. If that's you, then that's the time that maybe you should just say, you know what, I'm just, we're just not going to play tonight. If you're not missing very often, then it's okay to do that on occasion. Cause if you just, that's when you're going to start feeling like, okay, I ran a bad game. It's going to be harder to pick up on the next time. So if you're just really not feeling it, I do think it's okay to skip in those cases, as long as you're not already skipping a lot for all these, all these other reasons. Cause then your campaign's probably going to fall apart. Okay. So now moving into the game, what are some ways that the game ends because of the game itself? And what are some ways to prevent that? Well, I think from as as generic an answer as possible, the two ways a game ends within the, the structure of a game are that the PCs accomplish the goal or the PCs are prevented from comp- accomplishing the goal to such a point that they cannot move forward. I mean, those are the... the you really can't... There, there's no middle ground. You, you either... You either Get it, or you can't get it. I, I can't think of another example. If if you're on if you're on a quest for a certain item, you either through whatever trials and tribulations you need to, you accomplish that quest and get that item, or you are prevented from getting that item because of a billion different reasons. It gets stolen. You're all dead. You're all in jail. Uh, you're off on a side quest. Someone moves it. It, it gets lost. It gets destroyed. Well, I think that comes down to the type of game that you're running. Uh, you know, if you are running what you hope to be the next Lord of the Rings, and if your characters don't throw the ring into you know, the volcano of Mordor, you everyone dies. Then, yeah, if the bad guys get a hold of the ring, or you throw the ring in the volcano, that's pretty much the end of that campaign. There's there's not a whole lot you can do. But if you're running a campaign that's more character focused, where you're just you know, almost like a series of one shots in a way where you're like, okay, this week your job, your your goal is to break into the magistrate's office and steal the book. Well, you got caught, you got thrown in jail. Next week it's going to be to break out of jail and then, high, you know, hightail it out of town. But there's always another town. There's always another job up ahead. Then 
you can do that. But if, so it's, if you're doing a very heroic journey type of game, you know, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, that type of thing, then yeah, your campaign can end because of success or, or unattainable failure. If you're running a game that's just your characters are in this world, let's go see what's out there, it's craziness, then you don't really have to worry about that. Yeah, they might fail that particular thing, but that doesn't mean it's the end of the story. So if you're concerned about a campaign ending, I suggest that you run a game that's more character focused and not necessarily a save the world game where the world will eventually either be destroyed or be saved like made men. And you have a lot more options to continue the story. And again, if you have players that drop out and have new players that come in with new characters, or you have characters that die as part of a, you know, game, game balance, the characters die and you bring in new characters, then it doesn't kind of mess up the whole like, why are we on the way to Mordor? Like, you know, we have three different hobbits than what we started with. We we have a th- different wizard than what we started with. So why are we doing this again? You don't really have that issue if you're not on this epic quest to defeat the ultimate evil. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you are wanting to run a big epic story like that, you, you definitely have to get everyone on board for committing to that. And then you have to kind of have that group mindset that you are working towards one of those goals. You are working to either accomplish the goal you set out to or fail. Die trying. You know, get to Mordor or die. It's not always so drastic. I mean, if it's... It, bringing up Lord of the Rings just brings up the most extreme example we possibly can. If, if the story you're running is... All right, guys. Uh, the the heroic quest you're on is to escort the princess to the next castle, and it's a very dangerous journey, but your journey will be completed when you get there, and you're done. She's safe if she's alive, and and then everyone's safe. So a little bit less extreme. You know, there are there are degrees of failure at working at that. You know, very quick, very easily. Okay, everyone's dead, or the princess is dead. Or you didn't get there soon enough, and war-torn country destroyed itself, or, or the orcs came and destroyed the castle. So yeah, you could go to that extreme, but you could also, quote-unquote, fail that by getting distracted, and maybe through role-playing, learning the truth behind the situation, and the princess becomes her own NPC with her own rules, and she says, well, I don't want to do that because of this, this, and this, and you guys find out all this stuff, the truth behind this arranged marriage, and you decide to come up with this crazy alternate solution. So you're still accomplishing your goal, but it's not really the way you intended to, but you still complete that story arc at that point. I think really all all tangents and rambling aside, it, it really boils down to identifying the goals and how you accomplish them. Is this a long-term goal? Is this a short-term goal? Is this save the world? Is this get dinner tomorrow night? What level are we playing at? And once you've hit that end point, is there a next logical step? If you're playing the the epic save the world, okay, we save the world. Do these characters continue, and do we want to continue playing them? Yes or no? Okay, we save the world. Okay, we didn't save the world. Everyone's dead, or everyone's in jail, or everyone got shunted off to another dimension. We kind of lost this game, guys. Do you want to re-roll? 
Do you want to figure out how to bring these characters back? Do you want to continue after the apocalypse and see what happens? If your session is, hey, let's get dinner tomorrow night. Let's go to the next town over. Let's, you know, break out of jail. Let's break into jail. Okay, that was a one-day thing. You accomplished it. Good job. You probably want to go on, right? Okay, what's your next step? What's your next goal? There's no reason to end a campaign after a very simple, simple goal is accomplished. Unless it's a one-shot. And if you're running just a bunch of one-shots with the same characters, like that TV show kind of style thing, it's easy to drop in and drop out. And it's easy to end the campaign because you still have a sense of closure. You have a four-hour session, and you guys all accomplished A, B, and C. Great. Hey, we did it. We're at the tavern. We celebrated. The end. Finale. Next week. All right, guys, are we still running with these original characters? Yeah. Okay, what are they doing this week? What's their mission this week? Oh, they got to go find this treasure. Okay, let's get the treasure. Let's finish it by tonight. Hey, we got the treasure. And that's where you can do that, you know, three years later situation we talked about where, you know, maybe it was a pretty epic quest. It wasn't quite, you know, save the world, but it was a big deal. Then you just do, okay, ten years later, what what has transpired to bring our characters back together again? Maybe you let everybody level up two or three levels. Now they're epic level. You, you know, you really ramp it up so it is like a true multiverse or multiplanar adventure. So there are ways to still continue the story, even if you have success on a crazy campaign, or in some cases even failure. Angry brought this up in our kind of our mystery episode, where you know if, if the overarching mystery is that someone's trying to bring Orcus into our world, and you fail. So Orcus comes through, you could say, oh, well, well, we lost. Or you could be like, okay, five years later, you're now living under the tyrannical rule of Orcus and his minions. Let's pick up from there. And now we're going to, now we're the rebellion fighting against the Galactic Empire rather than the Republic, you know? So there's still ways that you can do it. Sometimes you have to make some concessions and a little tongue in cheek, but we're playing a role playing game that's based off uh, heavily off of a book that has something to do with hobbits and magic rings and volcanoes. You know, I think if we all take ourselves a little less seriously at times, I think we'll be okay. One other thing I want to do bring up uh, one of the ways that my games have ended. And it's kind of unique to me again, is I don't like running high level games. I'm not good at it. I know that. I know that once my characters get to sixth or seventh level, I struggle with providing an interesting game or a, a difficult enough challenge that they become too powerful. So my games become less fun for me, at least as a DM. And I think for my players when they get to higher levels. So sometimes we just get to a level where it's like, we're not having fun anymore. The story may be fine, but I would I would have more fun bringing in a new character. Maybe I've uh, I started a build like a three point five game. I, I had this feated you know uh, this chain of feats I wanted to do, and I I got my guy there. I got him to tenth level. He's now a shadow dancer, and I did that super epic combo where I killed one guy with one hit and did four hundred points of damage. Okay, now I'm done with him. I really don't want to play him anymore. I've I've done the coolest thing possible with this character, so I want to start. I want to do something with a new character, but it kind of happens with the game. I've had games in because the characters, not because of level, they just got too powerful, especially early on when I was giving out magic items like candy. Because there was a time when I used to do that. I know I don't do it now, but that's because I've overcorrected. But there were times where my characters walked around with, you know, uh, bags of holding with every possible plus four sword in the world and whatever they fought, they had the perfect tool for. And it got boring and they weren't interesting anymore and it was, was, wasn't fun. So sometimes you as a DM may have given the characters a campaign breaking item 
whether it's a sack full of magical swords or it could be the one ring or it could be you've made one of them immortal because you thought it would be cool to play a Highlander type game. But now that character is so important that all the other characters have kind of taken second fiddle and no one else wants to play anymore. So there are elements to the game or story elements of, of a game that can make it not fun to play anymore. I agree. Yeah, that, that definitely can happen. But I think the challenge presented to the GM in that point is, okay, well, do I scrap this story I've built? Or do I come up with a creative way to write the problem? Okay, so you, you've given away so many game-breaking magical items and artifacts that it's just not fun to play anymore. Sure, we could scrap and we could start over with new characters. Or do you come up with an event that destroys all the artifacts? Or steals all the artifacts? Uh, does a new deity appear and, and shuts off all magic? somehow, and the players and the PCs have to figure out what happened. Uh, do all the artifacts gain sentience and, and become animated and say, hey, fuck you guys, we're going to go do our own thing. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to end the game in those situations, but you're right. I mean, if you get bored running a crazy game, and if your players did all they want to do with the character, sure, retire them. I mean, Let's point out that in 4th edition, the whole point of 4th edition was to get to 30th level, do the one really cool, epic, save-the-world thing, and then retire your character. That was in the books. It was once you have completed your epic destiny, that character stops being a playable character. Whether he dies, whether he becomes an NPC, whether he becomes that mystical wizard who trains new wizards, <laughs> whether he's that crazy fighter who becomes a monk wandering the desert and he's just a legend. I mean, that's what epic destinies were. It was you become this archetype of a character that is now an NPC. Start over. And I kind of like that idea. I like getting to a point in certain games of, I did everything. I'm done. I'm now the best. Or, oh my goodness, I just killed everybody to save the world, I need to go recover. <laughs> or what have I done, I need to live with myself, kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with retiring a character. And as a GM, if your players choose to retire a character, I think it's fair to say that they become NPC fodder for you. They become usable in later games. I mean, whether they pop up again because you're in the same world and your new PCs want to find that artifact, whether they become the sage old man who is giving advice. I mean, this is going to sound like a really dumb example, uh, but William Gibson, the guy who wrote Neuromancer, you know, the cyberpunk series of novels that invented cyberpunk. He has another series of books set in modern times, not cyberpunk, it's just good fiction. Well, he had a really cool character in the first book of a trilogy, and he brought her back in the last book of a trilogy. He never named her. She was just kind of a random character in one chapter in the background who had an important piece of knowledge for the actual main characters of the book he was writing. She was the generic old man NPC who gives the one piece of advice the current PCs need. He, he was Wilson from 
tool time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a cool moment. If if I played a character, completed my epic destiny, and retired, I'm playing a new character, and you, as GM, say, all right, Caleb, uh, well, your fighter's exploring, he's doing some research, and... Uh, a very uh, an old, wizened, hunched-over figure walks up and starts giving him some advice, and we role-play that out. And if you start dropping those hints that this old guy is really my old character who's coming back to impart this knowledge, that's really exciting to me. That's really cool. Even if I don't get it right away. Like, if you don't say, oh, by the way, this is Harry, your old fighter. He's now talking to you. Oh, okay, great. No, but if you build the, the momentum, if you build the suspense a little bit, and like after the fact, I say, wait a minute, was that was that, that guy? Did, did I know who that was? And you just give me that kind of grin across the table. That's a cool moment for everybody playing the game. So even if you end the campaign because you have accomplished what you wanted to with this character, it doesn't mean that character's dead. That character lives on infinitely, because this is a made-up world, and who the hell cares? That's right. Well, the advice that I would give there is it is entirely possible that players will want to do that. They will accomplish something that they set out to do with that character, whether it be a, a chain of feats or a particular attack or just, you know, they part of their background. It was to get vengeance on somebody, and in the game you get that vengeance, but maybe it comes much earlier than you anticipated, and they may be like, okay, I'm done with this guy. I don't. I don't need to play an Ego Montoya anymore because he killed the six-fingered man. I don't. I don't need to do any of his further adventures. Don't build your stories that are so focused around one of the characters that if that's the character that they decide to retire, that you can't really continue. Yeah. If your entire story is built around Luke and your your epic story is that he will rebuild the Jedi Order, and instead after he, he redeems his dad and kills the Emperor, spoiler alert. Whoops. And he's like, okay, I'm done. I don't really want to play this guy anymore. Well, that doesn't work for me. I need your guy to stick around because you still haven't, you know, rebuilt the temples or whatever. So just, that was, that was a long way to get there. Don't build your stories so focused around one character that either that character's death or that character's retirement stops the story from being able to progress further in any sort of logical way. Although, you know what the actual solution to that is? NPC. You hire a you hire a new director and erase the entire canon that has existed up until this time for 40 fucking years. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, I did. Anyway, yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, so, so campaigns can end a lot of different ways. They can end because of reality. You can't play, people skip, they don't want to play, you get burnt out, you don't want to run anymore. There's no easy answer to why that campaign ends. <clears throat> There's lots of different things you can do. You can try to keep running, you can run different games, you can get creative in how you run with less players or, or take weeks off, do rotating GMs. But the reality is that life gets in the way and you just have to learn to adapt to it. Uh, if we're talking about a campaign ending because of an in-game situation, really that depends on the scope of your game. If the campaign is so huge that ending it really does end the story, then yeah, start over. Chapter one, new characters. If it's a 
smaller level quest, and these characters have a life beyond completing that quest, yeah, keep going. You know, chapter two, whatever. You know, you roll with that. That's between you as the GM and your players and what you guys want to do. Get creative there. Retire a player and start over, but maybe bring that player back. Or bring that PC back, I should say. You know, ask what your players want to do with their characters. Do they just want to keep adventuring and see anything they can do? Do they have a specific goal? What happens when you complete that goal? Is it just the goal of doing really cool things and then you're bored? Is it just the goal of finishing his one life's quest? There's a zillion different answers to this, but just because the, the story ends doesn't mean your campaign has to end. But conversely, if the campaign ends, sometimes the story does end. You just got to roll with the punches. <laughs> more and more, Michael, you and I have been learning how to just improv at the table, and I think that makes the answer to this question much easier because you're not killing yourself to get from A to Z. You're just having fun and you're doing things as they happen. But if you are running A, B, C, D down the alphabet to get your story completed, then yeah, you have to be able to deal with either something happening that stops your story from completing, or you have to keep pushing and get it done, and then it's done. And that's okay. It's great to have a the end moment. Not that many of us get it. Yeah, it's been doing it uh, almost 30 years, and I've done it once. I've never done it, man. I've never really gotten a the end moment in any of my campaigns. And it didn't end the way it was supposed to. It just got to the point I I saw it coming. Right. And I decided to end it. So I I set up a situation where it would have a a semi-satisfying conclusion. But it it was not the way that was supposed to go. Sure. But I thought you did a, a very good job summing up, and I will I will refrain from my usual procedure of re-explaining what you just summarized, forcing you to then re-summarize again. <laughs> and I will just say, well said, sir. Well said. Uh, so that is going to wrap up Table Topics episode 61. I uh, just want to throw out a quick mention. This should come out before Catacon, which is November 7th, 8th, and 9th. If you are planning on coming, because there are some people local to Cincinnati as well as some people traveling, please make sure I know about it. I am opening up my house to somewhat strangers, and I would like to be prepared for that. So you are welcome. If you hear my voice, you're welcome to come. But please just let me know that you're coming so that I can prepare for you. Uh, Caleb, any last words before we shut this down? Nope. Nope. I've talked enough tonight. Yeah, this was a long episode, but I think it was a good one. I hope we did justice to the uh, the topic because, again, it was a little bit rushed. If we left something out, if we missed something, which I don't think so. We did. We did. We got it. We got it all. But if you think that we missed something, please let us know in the comments and uh, we will try to retouch this uh, again. We, we might do another looking back episode somewhere here in the, in the future and go back and touch on some emails and comments that we've gotten on topics. Haven't had any new reviews in a couple weeks, so please, we're always looking for reviews on iTunes. And, of course, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. Uh, we are up to 11 patrons right now. Uh, a little over a hundred bucks a month that we are getting to help support our show. We are super close. We are basically at this point about 21 days away from having enough money to buy our first big purchase with our Patreon money. It's going to be a digital recorder, which we are going to use to be able to a improve the quality of the show a little bit, 
uh, as well as to set ourselves up for success in some future endeavors involving interviews, uh, live interviews at cons and that kind of thing. Uh, we have a few other things that we're, we're wanting to do, uh, but that's our first big purchase. And we're, we're close enough, one, one more month of Patreon money, and we will have enough to buy that. Uh, we are an Amazon affiliate. So please, if you're interested in supporting our show, but you don't really have the ability or the desire to be a patron, go to our, sh- our website, click on the Amazon link that takes you to Amazon, and then just buy whatever you normally would buy. And we get a very small percentage of that. But clear your cookies first, guys. Yep. Cookies are bad, and, and you shouldn't eat them anyways, especially by your computer, because if you get crumbs in the keyboard, it just fucks it up. Well, no. We want you to eat our cookies. The whole point of this is that our cookies are the good cookies, not anyone else's cookies. Are we back to the sexual metaphors now? Because I'm confused. I don't know. I kind of want an Oreo. Depends on how you feel about Oreos. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the perfect place to end this. (laughs) Stop recording. The end. You can give us feedback and comments on our website, therpgacademy.com. You can listen to previous podcasts on our website and subscribe to new ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a table topic, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at therpgacademy.com or connect with us. We're on Twitter at therpgacademy. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash therpgacademy. We also have a Google Plus page, therpgacademy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.